Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that bounces through the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories from around the world including visible road markings are particularly essential for older drivers but also for intelligent vehicles. We talk to a world expert on the latest in bicycle planning and what it means for Australia. We road test the Renault Megane station wagon and in our panel discussion with Brian Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including Richard Branson may be gearing up to build electric cars. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. A project called Rain Vision, co-financed by the European Commission, looked at the effectiveness of road signs under wet and night conditions. Not surprisingly, they concluded that the better the quality of the signs, the less accidents occurred. On a simulated rural road combining straight sections and curves, 40% less driving errors were observed with wet night visible road markings compared to standard markings, and the biggest gap was observed for elderly drivers. But they also concluded that better signposting was a factor for cars with intelligent systems, such as lane departure warning. If cars are going to manoeuvre themselves along a road, or simply give road safety feedback to drivers, they have to detect road signs and road markings, just like humans. Police across Australia are stepping up random drug testing in a bid to curb the growing number of accidents. Victoria was the first jurisdiction in the world to introduce random drug testing in 2004. Last year in Victoria, 56,000 drivers were drug tested and 1 in 16 returned a positive result, compared with only 1 in 267 drivers testing positive for alcohol. In New South Wales in 2013, 16% of fatalities involved illicit drugs. Drug use increases your chances of an accident from between 1.3 times with cannabis up to 6 times with amphetamines. Police now conduct millions of random breath tests each year, but random drug testing is a more complex and expensive exercise. The Chrysler nameplate will continue in Australia, despite the fact that it is being withdrawn from the UK market. Chrysler has only two cars in Australia using this name, the 300 sedan, which is often said to look like a gangster's car, and the Voyager People Mover. In the first two months of the year, total sales were only 122 vehicles, a decline of over 50% on last year. In marked contrast, the Jeep brand has been booming in this country. So far this year, the Fiat Chrysler Corporation have sold over 4,600 Jeeps. The other brand name they have in our market is Dodge, which has only one car, the Journey, which has sold 207 cars this year. Computer simulations have played a major role in car manufacturing. Being able to model a car from a construction, strength and safety point of view before the first one is even built can bring about major improvements and huge savings. Now Pirelli has developed advanced modelling of tyres. 
As the sole supplier of tyres for the Formula One World Championship, Pirelli is now passing this advanced analysis technologies to their road and commercial departments. At this year's Australian Formula One Grand Prix, lap times were about two seconds a lap quicker than last year. Pirelli claimed that this was due, in part, to evolutions to the rear structure of all their 2015 tyres. They predict that there could be new lap records at other circuits during the year. President Obama plans to cut greenhouse gas emissions from the US government's 655,000 vehicles by 30% by 2025, as the federal government dramatically ramps up the purchase of zero-emission and plug-in hybrid vehicles. Obama's order requires federal agencies by 2020 to buy zero-emission or plug-in hybrid vehicles, accounting for at least 20% of new purchases. By 2025, electric vehicles or hydrogen fuel vehicles would have to account for 50% of new vehicle purchases by federal agencies. The agencies must also plan to ensure proper charging. They have a long way to go. In the first 10 months of 2014, federal, state and local governments registered 175,122 new vehicles, of which 512 were electric cars, or less than one-third of 1%. Hybrids presented about 4%, of new government vehicles. How well do you know all the road rules? The Western Australian Government has just brought in a rule that says drivers will not be able to use regular rope to secure a load on the back of a vehicle or trailer. New road compliance and enforcement regulations will require drivers to use approved webbing, tie-downs or certified rope, that is rope which has been endorsed by Australian standards. Apparently, a similar rule applies in some eastern states. And the motoring club in Queensland, the RACQ, has highlighted rules that people are generally unaware of, such as your car must be locked, key removed from ignition and handbrake on if the driver is more than three metres away from their car. Or, you can't leave your car locked and unattended with the window open any wider than five centimetres. And that has been the news. It is well known that cycling is a significant mode of transport in Holland. This is good for them, but they are also keen to help other countries understand what has made cycling so successful in their country. A series of seminars has just been held around Australia with the support of the Australian Institute of Traffic Planning and Management and the Consulate General of the Kingdom of the Netherlands. Several experts from the Netherlands have travelled to Australia to attend the conferences. One of these experts was Martijn T. Lintello, Senior Mobility Advisor at the City of Nijmegen. He graciously gave us his time to talk about the important issues to do with cycling. I began by asking him what proportion of trips are made by bike in Holland. Well, many people cycle uh, on a daily basis. In general, it's 27% of all trips. So compared to Australia, it's something like 3%, I think. 
it's certainly very low. 27% is fantastic. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but it's not always been as successful. You struck a time when car trips became more prevalent. Yeah, there was a time uh, in the 1970s, 1970s, when cars came up, um, mass motorization started, and we had a lot of problems with safety uh, matters, but also with the oil crisis and uh, other things. So uh, after the 1970s, we had a lot of public engage- engagement to get more people cycling again. Yeah, and so it, it proved successful. You, you were surprised when you looked at cycling in Sydney. There are a couple of uh, different sorts of natures of that. One is the type of people who were cycling. Uh, yes, one is the type of people cycling. They're the diehards, I would call them. Great that they are there because uh, they are pioneers trying to find way in, in between the rest of the traffic because, well, lots, uh, lots of the traffic infrastructure is missing in uh, for bicycles is missing in Sydney compared to the situation in the Netherlands. So uh, they try to uh, to survive. Yeah, and so it tends to be more alpha males, really, doesn't it? Yeah, but also uh, some women on bikes uh, because uh, all women and also men love to cycle uh, to their work, probably. Hmm. So, But hmm. what I'm talking about is that uh, there are a lot of cars in, uh, in, in Sydney and they're <laughs> taking all the, all the road space. Yeah, in fact, uh, that also means that it tends to be people that have to cycle at speed, doesn't it? Yeah, it's more like a kind of a survival ride, I think, for many of them. Uh, with their road bikes, well, they're, they're fast, of course, but uh, they try to survive in the rest of the traffic because they don't have any protected lanes uh, in general. Hmm. Yeah, so you, you're, you're limiting the sort of people that can readily get it involved. In your home, of course, you in your hometown, you have a lot wider range of people doing the cycling, don't you? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, they're starting at young age, like uh, kids from uh, six, seven years old to people in the, in the 80s. Mm. They st- still like to cycle around and have their freedom of the mobility. Now, and in fact, that means a more leisurely pace uh, that uh, involves back at home, isn't it? Not not always, but certainly a lot more people. Uh, for example, I think a lot of people enjoy cycling because it's uh, you can look around and enjoy the environment. Oh yeah, for sure. It's what I said. It's it's about fun, uh, just driving around uh, when it's safe, of course. Uh, but also about health. It's about environment. It's about uh, enjoying the surroundings uh, on your way to work. So in a car, when driving, it's okay. But, but this is, of course, in, in the downtown area, there's a lot of congestion. It's not always nice to, to sit in the car. And people love to be outside in general. Mm. Yeah, it's a lovely, a lovely thing. Crashes were a particular problem involving children when the, the car became more dominant. I think the numbers of children dying on the roads was very high, wasn't it? Yeah, something like 400 in 1972, so that was an uh, all-time high. And after that, uh, fortunately, there were less uh, uh, fatalities uh, amongst children, but also in general, uh, because, well, road and safety is, is something which is expe- accepted by some people. But in the Netherlands, we don't believe in that. We try to be as safe as possible on the roads mm. because we think uh, especially vulnerable road users need some uh, protection uh, towards uh, uh, cars. So car drivers, they, they, dro- they drive a, a big metal thing with a lot of speed and mass. So, and cyclists, of mm. course, they can speed up, but in general, they're much more vulnerable. Martijn, thank you very much for your time. I do appreciate it. Oh, it was great to talk to you, and I'd like to, to come back.
Thank you. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Thank you, you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Martine T. Lintello, the Senior Mobility Advisor at the City of Nemeshen in the Netherlands. And you can hear the full interview with Martijn if you go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au where he talks about safety and numbers, getting the right cycleways and electric bikes. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. The Mazda 2 is in the second smallest category of cars in Australia called light cars. So far this year it is leading the sales race in this class. It is a very competitive field with 17 different cars in the subcategory of vehicles under $25,000. It is clearly sink or swim as there are another five models that have dropped out through bad sales in the last year. The Mazda 2 was first introduced in 2002 although Mazda did previously have small cars such as the 121. The new model is the third generation to have the name Mazda 2. Is it any good? Let's talk to Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury. Brent, this is an all new model? Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, there is pretty much nothing that you can swap between this and the previous model. Well, the previous model had been around for a while, hadn't it? I think it was with us since 2007. Yeah, look, it, it, it speaks volumes for for a car when it can can last that long in the market and still be selling well up until the time that the uh, the importer decides to, uh, to to get rid of it and get a new one. And and this one, this newest car, has just taken up where the old one left off. And and in fact, it's it's I think its sales numbers are actually better. Mm. Well, uh, I think the old one topped the sales in Australia in the class for a couple of in a couple of years. Um, but, uh, you know, which is, as you say, I think the last one was 2013, which is incredible when you consider uh, that it's been around for so long. Now, this is the f- fourth model in Mazda, and certainly the first subcompact, to have the new uh, Kodo style of uh, design, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the Kodo design language, and it's also it was also the fourth, there are now five, the, the fourth um, Mazda, sorry, this was the third Mazda, I think, to, uh, to feature the Sky Active. Um, holistic technology, which is actually not just pie in the sky stuff. They they have actually uh, tackled the the whole engineering process from the engine and transmission all the way through the chassis design, yeah, pulling yeah. weight out of it, strengthening it in the, in the in the appropriate places. You know, you, you can tell it isn't just another another little car. It, it actually has a lot of thought behind it, and that comes across in the driving because it actually drives like a car in the next size category up. Yes. It, it has sophistication about it, which is not something you can say about that many $15,000 light cars. Yeah, no, the Sky Active, I think, does its fuel consumption rather well, which is just a smidgen over 5 litres per 100. 
Yeah, you, you don't have to try very hard to get good fuel numbers out of, out of this car. And, and this is the other good thing. Um, whereas a lot of manufacturers will say, right, we'll have we've got you know, four models, three models, whatever, we'll put a different engine in each one, so you can't really quantify the fuel numbers. Mazda has three variants in this car. There's the, the Neo, the Max, and the Genki. But all of them have the same um, driveline package. They all get the 1.5-litre engine and basically uh, a choice of manual manual or automatic transmissions and that, that's it you don't get any diesels you don't get any turbochargers you don't get something that isn't the 1.5 we decided to go for a 1.7 in that model so there's, there's a whole lot of quantifiable stuff right across the range i think one of the 1.5s is slightly tuned higher isn't it uh, in, in the max model for a couple of kilowatts but as you say the same engine they got some funny names for their models haven't they neo <laughs> max no uh, and Gigi. max with two x's Max with two X's. Now, Neo, <laughs> Neo means new, recent, or revived, although it also means the most recent subdivision of a geological period. And there's also a chemistry definition of it, a combining form used in the names of isomers having a carbon atom attached to four carbon atoms. Uh, anyway, that's perhaps not relevant to the Mazda. The, the listeners are getting scared of you now, David. <laughs> But the middle model is, as you say, the max, but I would have thought max is to reach a point at which there's no more improvement. And yeah, then there's it's the max with two X's. Oh, well, it's two X's. <laughs> it's a qualified max. <laughs> and then there's the Genki, G-E-N-K-I. That, I do believe, uh, it's not in some dictionaries, but I do believe it means enthusiastic, energetic and lively. So perhaps I understand why now. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. Five-star yep. ANCAP rating. Now, the previous model, one of the variations you could buy that in had only two airbags, so it was a made a four-star rating. But the new one across the board is five-star. I think that's good. Oh, it's always good, and it's it's. My belief is that this is part of the whole um, um, Sky Active thing. As we were saying, they've, they've put a lot of um, thought into the into the body and chassis design, so that while the car is uh, is not a heavyweight by any stretch, um, uh, good use of high-strength uh, steel in, in the right places has made this a much more crash-worthy car. Not that we want to crash, but when we do, it's nice to know that we have some protection around us. Brent, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. David, it's always my pleasure. And that was Brent Davidson, the motoring editor from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury, talking about the Mazda 2. And you can hear the full interview with Brent by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au, where he talks about the price of the Mazda 2 and also talks about briefly the new Mazda CX-3 that has just been released onto the market. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Well, it's time where we pontificate a little about some of the issues that are to do with the more lighter side of motoring and transport. And joining me on the line, we're pleased to have Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. You have a story for us. Indeed. Um, Richard Branson has uh, set some tongues wagging with his attendance at an all-electric Formula One-style race 
the Formula E race in Miami, Florida, is a sort of a, a, a high-speed Formula One spin-off for battery-powered race cars. They can accelerate incredibly quickly, zero to 100 k's in about three seconds. They're, they're limited at the moment to a top speed of about 250 kilometres, but it's a showcase for electric car technology. So when Branson turned up, people have started to wonder whether he's going to challenge for Elon Musk's Tesla as um, you know the leading electric car manufacturer. Branson said a few things to suggest. You know, we've got pe- we've got teams of people working on electric cars. You never know; you may find Virgin competing with the Tesla in the car business, just as we do in the space business. So, um, David, we may be having, in addition to the Tesla, a lovely electric car, we may also have uh, Apple cars, mm. Google, and possibly even a Virgin car. Virgin car. It's a classic example of non-traditional companies getting into car manufacturing. That's right. There's not one of them that has any kind of motoring heritage. No. They're electronics companies, aren't they? Yeah, and as we talked about in the news, what is happening is that they're getting involved, for example, the Paris uh, car share system was started up by a logistics company. And that logistic company says, well, let's us provide the cars. And they don't go to, didn't go to traditional car manufacturers. They went to Pininfarina, who designed one, and they built an electric car. And now Uber is doing a trial in Chicago, I think, you know, where they're doing electric cars as part of the car sharing package. And so Very it's, interesting. it's opening up the opportunity for other manufacturers, non-traditional manufacturers, getting involved in car making. But, David, what I'm interested in is is that I, I would have thought, you know, you get sort of Apple thinking about cars, Google thinking about cars, Elon Musk, who, who you know, is, is, is into space, and Branson. Now, surely they can set their sights a little more widely than just a standard car with an electric motor. I, I was expecting to see some real innovation, but the Tesla is just a car. It's got a few clever little quirks, but, um, you know, I, nobody's reinventing the mm. people mover or the, or the, the car. They're, they're quite conservative in that respect. Yeah, well, I think what it may see is the manufacturing of some very basic cars, because you're, what you're doing is you're no longer building cars to try and sell to the individual. You are building oh, okay. cars yep. that will become like taxis. So yeah, we so might see corporations, yeah. and it's all about then proof of concept and low mm. maintenance yep. and reliability and stuff yep. like that. So you hop in a car and it, it doesn't have all the luxuries you want. So what? It's not your car. It's like a cab. So mm. maybe, uh, maybe what we might see, I'm digressing a bit here, but what we might see is different design cars. One example might be like a golf buggy where the driver is cocooned in the front and the passenger is in a separate compartment in the back, maybe even facing backwards. But how do we deal with that, that problem of, of what is the design that meets everybody's needs? Because, you know, you have that problem where, say, you, you um, 
share cars that are being parked around the place now, um, go get and that, things mm. like that. I mean, they're just a small hatchback. Usually they have a couple of station wagons, but, you know, uh, people have different needs through different trips, don't they? So mm. you might want to go to the shop and carry some things. You might want to go to Ikea and, and carry a home a massive, um, you know, wardrobe or something like that. How, how do you design a vehicle that can do all those different things? Oh, you don't. I think you are going to have to do, as you say, with something like Go Get, that they keep a variety of cars, but which is fine because some of the local area ride-sharing, car-sharing systems have utes. Well, no one mm. normally keeps a ute. And so yeah, true. this you is a chance one, you? You, you just hire one. I guess uh, if Errol was here, he'd be telling us that, of course, you know, the companies are starting to do deliveries with drones. Yes. And so, of course, you, you know, you don't necessarily need to go to Ikea and come home with your couch. Um, I'd hate the idea of a couple of electric drones <laughs> carrying the couch to my house. But uh, I guess there are always deliveries. So we've just got to think differently about how we travel. Couch is a bit big. Maybe a pizza might be be able to be delivered to you. <laughs> yes. Now, Branson is known for a sexy or even a sexist approach to personnel, uh, your cabin crew, and he is also dressed up as a woman in woman's clothing. Could this make for some more interesting personnel at motor shows, draping themselves <laughs> across the bonnet? Maybe Branson himself. Branson himself. He's, he's kind of like the equivalent of the Sun newspaper with a, with a page three yeah. bird, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's uh, unfortunately, he's not a serious, you know, he lacks a bit of seriousness, I think, from all those nonsense stunts that he pulls. Yes, of course. Which worries if he's building you something to go into space. <laughs> That's true. He's done a lot of things. He's, I think, uh, some British Rail. I think he has the marketing contract for some of those. So he's got into a a range of transport. He's Hmm. clever. Okay, now... Speaking of clever. uh, Speaking (laughs) of clever. (laughs) In a safari park in South Africa, Kayleen and Cindy are sitting in the back of their car filming the lions on the outside and this lioness comes up to the door which they hadn't locked. Turns out the lioness very cleverly puts a tongue under the handle and opens the door. It's now gone viral, the thing. Uh, Actually, the girl reacted very quickly. She reached out and slammed the door. I would have been hesitant. I wouldn't know whether to slam the door, you know, put my arm out and and grab the door and slam it, or or, or what I might do. Pat uh, the kitty. Pat the kitty, (laughs) (laughs) Apparently there's a whole pile of people that do stupid things. They, one, one person got out of the car and walked around the other side to take a photo. Not this car, but yeah. other cars that have been Well, there. I imagine the people in the convertible behind this car <laughs> were maybe a, just a little concerned. Just a bit concerned. Brian, always lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Yep, my pleasure, David. And we'll see you next week. And that was Brian Smith, and we were talking some more unusual stories in the wonderful world of motoring and transport. And you can hear more of the discussion about lions getting into the car, as well as Brian and I talking about research that suggests that bicycles are not quite the pollution reducers as they might be. Is this good science or bad science? Go to our website. And this has been Overdrive. 
My thanks as always to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.